And welcome to the Food Coma Podcast. I'm Joe Riccio. Uh, today, we have the pleasure of welcoming Lacey Burke, uh, a, I guess you could say, wine personality, sommelier, bon vivant. Extraordinaire. Extraordinaire. Uh, based out of New York City, but currently residing for a few weeks in Maine. Yes, thanks, Joe. It's great to be here. And uh, yeah, I mean, Maine, not the ideal vacation place in the winter, but my family's here. I'm from here. So it is good to be back. And I'm glad we get to do this. Yeah, and I feel like now Maine is better than other places for other reasons. You know, it's a little, yeah. a little more, more space. Yeah. yeah, New York is wonderful, but obviously not an ideal situation right now. And when did you move to New York City? God, about 15 years ago. So I think it was 04. Which is right after we were together. Now, this would be the second. Uh, episode in a row where I've discussed the market side grill because with Rob Evans in the last one, I talked about the Portland public market and what a disaster it was and how, if it happened now, it would be totally different. But you and I met at the market side grill. Yep. And that was a, it's fun to work on a sinking ship, isn't it? Sometimes. I mean, I've worked on a few sinking ships before, so yeah. it's, um, it, it was, it could have been so good. You know, it really had potential. It had all the players. Mm. But it just didn't come together. It was just it was it was a disaster. It was it, like, was it was a disaster. But I definitely took advantage of that, and uh, it caused as much destruction and chaos as I could um, <laughs> before my departure. I was like, well, you know what? It doesn't matter. So all these urges you have, just go with them. Just, Don't resist any urges. I mean, you, that's your sort of mo. If you isn't feel like it, destroying Joe? property, just destroy it. <laughs> if you feel like stealing wine. Just steal it. Oh, yeah. Good times. <laughs> yeah. They were great times. Now, you went uh, from there. Now, did you go straight to New York and work for uh, Mario Batali? No. So um, I left Market Side Grill, and I worked at Una for a little while. Ah. So hence for the Michael your Burke your non-family member, Michael Burke. My non-family <laughs> member, faux sibling <laughs> yeah, slash faux cousin. Sibling. We would definitely, like, I would join him on Vias Tastings, and he'd be like, this is my cousin, Lacey Burke. And it worked well with the Italian thing. So <laughs> we, we definitely played that out. But yeah, I worked at Una for a little while, and that's really kind of how I got to know Michael and um, became close with him. We're still friends to this day, which has been great. But yeah, I worked at Una for uh, less than a year, and then I moved to New York after that. And then what was the first gig in New York? So I initially moved to New York to be in fashion. That was the whole kind of plan. I remember that. So We went to a fashion show one time at Space Gallery, <laughs> and you were obsessed with the fact that all of the shoes were quote-unquote stripper heels. Well, you know, it's not the shoe I would have chosen. <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with a Lucite heel if you wear it the right way. I mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> it depends on what, who's watching, why yeah. they're watching. How you you're know, wearing it. How you're wearing it. Yeah, absolutely. How long you're wearing it. Right. Yeah. So no, I moved to New York and I worked a little bit in retail and I also had like a part-time bartending gig at this place called the Manhattan Lounge, which is this total just like kind of dumpy Upper East Side place that I bartended on Monday nights. And from there, I quickly went into, okay, what the hell do I want to do with my life? I got out of fashion and I realized that food and wine was something I was interested in. I actually thought about food 
in wine writing, but then I was like, oh wait, they make like zero dollars. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes we make money, sometimes we don't. <laughs> it depends on who you're working for. So yes. I was like, my taste is way too bougie, so I need yeah. to figure my shit out. So no, yeah. I basically... In New York City, I wouldn't do it. We'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. And I loved writing, but I guess I didn't really have the discipline for it, if I'm being honest. And so I decided, well, if I want to sort of get into food and wine, I should learn more about wine. So that kind of led me into sommelier studies. So I was bartending at Sushi Samba at the time. I know, very cool. And they actually had a really good wine program, believe it or not. And the the wine director there was the one that encouraged me to study wine. And so I got my certification through the ASA, the American Sommelier Association. And then quickly after that, actually before I was even fully certified, I got a job with Gray Koontz working at uh, Not Cafe Gray, which was his you know place in the Time Warner building with per se, and all the mm-hmm. other places. Um, his second place, which was just called Gray's with a yep. Z. Um, another sinking ship. Great in theory, but like beautiful. The food cost was outrageous. They had like 15 champagnes by the glass. Like dishes were regularly finished with caviar and just... Unrealistic. Yeah, Greg Koontz was such a talented chef, but d- knows nothing about food cost. So You're opening 15 bottles of champagne... That I'll have a, a shelf life once they're opened of X amount of time. Maybe twenty four hours yeah. if you're lucky. If you and especially if they're if they're decent, like you know, people are spending thirty dollars on the glass and it's been open for two days, no thank you. It better be bubbly. Yeah. yeah. So that was an experience. And through that, then I got I was recruited by the wine director at Gotham Barn Grill. So that was kind of really where I, I mean, I learned, I certainly learned a lot. Like when I was at Gray's, when I first Alfred started. Portale, it, right? uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I, I started working with him in uh, 08 and I was at Gotham for about two and a half years, which was pretty cool because it was like right as the kind of economy was doing weird, crazy, like fluctuations. <laughs> as it turns and, out, the housing market collapsed and whatnot. <laughs> but weirdly, <laughs> you know? so Gotham had this amazing following where we had all these guys that came in and they said, you know what, we're going to um, choose a few restaurants and just be really loyal and like forget all the rest and so people were still coming in and I mean I opened like you know regularly first growth Bordeaux and DRC and Salos and so I really got my wine shops at Gotham and I was there for about two and a half years and then I went to go work for um, Batali and, and Bastianich at Del Posto. At Del Posto yeah. right so after Del Posto I mean was there more restaurant before you transitioned into your sort of what I viewed from the outside as the Ultimate career as a brand ambassador for <laughs> Ruinart Champagne, which I was, which was one of my favorites. Dom Ruinart is one of my favorite champagnes uh, in general. Mm-hmm. My favorite to sell, favorite to drink. So what, what was between Del Posto and that? That was it. So basically, I was at Del Posto, and I definitely was looking for the next move. I'd been there for over a year. I kind of like had gotten through. I was like, I, I sort of had this old school notion where you should be somewhere at least a year before you move on, if not more. Yeah, and the restaurant business is like, because they're like cat years. Yeah. You know, it's like one year equals, I don't know what it is in cat Right. What's, so, what's one year to cat years, do you know? I think it's seven. So yeah, exactly. Working in a restaurant for one year is like working anyplace else for seven. Yeah, so, and I was just like, I need to get through this year at Del Posto. So I did, and then I kind of had a... I, met up with Joe and had a conversation with him. And I was like, look, this has been great, but I'm kind of ready for the next thing. He actually offered me an opportunity to go to Hong Kong and open one of their restaurants in Hong Kong. However, it was going to be like, you know, working 14 hour days and they weren't going to be paying my rent. They were just going to send me there. And I'm like, so Hong Kong rent is insane. So it's like, I'm going to work for a million hours, not even see the city and just do this. And so I was like, thank you, but no, thank you. Like, I think I'd either like to get into the auction side of the business or into the champagne side. And Joe was kind of like, all right, cool. You have my blessing. Let me know if you need anything. And I officially kind of started looking. Um, What does the auction side look like for you? 
Well, like Zaki's or Hart Davis Hart or Acker Merrill, um, any of those kind of bigger. And I have a lot of friends in the auction business. And so like wine auction always felt really exciting and sexy to me. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And I love going to them. And, you know, you meet a lot of people that drink great wine. All the people that subscribe to your OnlyFans where you (laughs) just drink wine, expensive wine. Right. The the, the fantasy OnlyFans of me just (laughs) drinking great wine. No. Yeah. Those are people you met at the auction, probably. Right. No. That's, I should. If I ever got a side hassle, that certainly would be a consideration. But, um, but yeah, so I so I ended up, you know, meeting someone from Moet Hennessy at an event and they were kind of like, "Hey, like you might be the right fit for this ambassador role." And so connected me with the brand director of Runart Champagne. Um and yeah, I mean the kind of the rest I had an, I had a morning interview. I remember I had worked the, a double the night before and they were like, "Can you meet at like 6?" No, they wanted to meet at like 7:30 for breakfast. And I was like, can we do 8.30? <laughs> like, I don't wake up that early. Yeah. So went for a breakfast meeting and then had like a, a long interview the following week with like everybody at MH. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, I was thinking to myself, well, this is just not going to happen. I didn't get this role. And I get a call on my way to another double. And they were like, oh, hey, we forgot to call you. Do you want the job? <laughs> I was like, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> did, you so. quit, did you even bother doing the double? Or you just... <laughs> no, I did the double. You're like, you I know what? Turn me around. Yeah. I'm going home. No, no, I did the double. But it was like the best double ever. Because I was so careless. Fuck you. Fuck you. You're cool. You're cool. Yeah. Fuck you. I'm out of here. <laughs> no, I. that's like another like fake dream that will never happen is just blowing out on a job but I like I'm way too like it's really paranoid to do that kind of thing you gotta do it though you gotta be like Scarface and you gotta just <laughs> I did one of those I've done that a couple times you always have to have like, that's the beauty of like working in the restaurant business and having four jobs at once is that if you want to do that at one of them you can right and you can just be like you know what They're like you can do any side work and you're like you know what you actually no, I'm not gonna do that and you wait for the reaction and then you're like oh also I quit just so you know <laughs> I'm also leaving right now and I'm not going to do any side work. So if I want to get somebody to cover the whole glass polishing things, I'm out. Right. It ain't going to be me. Yeah. You can fuck right off. <laughs> no, I, d- I didn't do it, but I, d- you know, and I was like, I gave them whatever I gave them three weeks because yeah. So, um, whatever. Again, only be like, I have a lot of respect for Joe. And so I wanted to honor that relationship. I mean, but- what, what, I mean what was your relationship with Mario? I mean- Honestly, no, non-existent. I mean, the man probably knew me. Like, he would come in. Mario would, like, come in. We would only ever know Mario was there when, like, he would go into the private dining room with, like, one of his famous friends, like Bono or Jimmy Fallon or something. (laughs) By the way, Jimmy Fallon, nice guy, drinks killer wine. Bono, not so much. Dude, let me tell you. Bono drinks Prosecco. Let me tell you. I worked at, when I was working at Nine in Chicago, Nine Steakhouse, uh, U2 came in. Mm Mm-hmm. Bono, Edge, the whole gaggle of them. And um, they rung up a, a bill, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, and tipped 15%. I think mm. Edge paid. Mm-hmm. On the way out, Bono was like, when I came here tonight, I was wondering who the owner was when I left here. I was wondering who the chef was. It was like this whole proof. He, we were supposed to be all blown away by that. Right. And we're like, dude, you just tip 15%, you fucking asshole. Right. Like, we could care less if you never come back. Yeah. Go go back to Del Posto. Have Lacey bring you some <laughs> expensive wine. Tip her 15%. Because <laughs> I'm over it. I'm done with it. 
Yeah, no, sadly. I mean, he actually did get some Gaia, but he was like, I was trying to get him to drink champagne. And he's like, no, we're at an Italian restaurant. I want to drink, I want to drink Prosecco. And You're I was like, like you know mm, what? That sounds like somebody who's way below your pay grade making excuses. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Nobody ever says that who actually knows what they're talking I about. I was like, I was like, yeah. look, sir, the Italians love champagne. Okay? Listen, this J.O. Prosecco, I mean, I know you're the Salos is what it is, but J.O. Prosecco, you know, that's authentic. Well, no, it, it had to be floor. It was only the Bastianich label for Secco. Barefoot. <laughs> Around this, the same. This Moscato is from Asti. Mm. It's the Moscato of Asti, if you will. Moscato de Asti. So it's perfect with truffles and anything. Yeah. <laughs> you throw at me, you know. So um, so anyway, so Mario would come in and he would shut the private dining room. There's many private dining rooms at Del, Del Posto. would go into one of the private dining rooms, shut the door. And then this would be like as the restaurant's closing and the closing manager would be like, God damn it. Ugh. And they, Mario and them would be in there like smoking cigars, yeah. drinking Amaro, like blazing cigarettes, like you know, doing everything to like four in the morning. And the closing manager, which luckily as a sommelier was never me, had to be there the whole time. And so that's just kind of like how I knew Mario. I never really had a lot of interaction with him. So for better or for worse, probably for better. That's why restaurant people do so much cocaine. Situations like that. Yeah, I mean. like, you know what? I'm stuck here. I have an unlimited amount of boost to steal. I might as well do some drugs while I'm here. And why not? It's a it's a dysfunctional family in the restaurant business yeah. for sure. It's not anymore. It's different now. That's why I don't do it yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. These days it's like it's like a regular job. Uh, well, these days I could imagine working with a face mask on. I always like I admire right. restaurant workers more than ever. Oh my god! These days, totally. Like, and I try to support when I can, where I can, because yeah. it's like it's also my favorite thing to do in the world is go out to eat. And so I'm trying to be like respectful and cognizant. But yeah. Real bummer to work in the restaurants these days. So yeah, I mean, I'm grateful I got out for sure. I'm sure you are too. Um, But you know, there was a freedom and there was just a carefree quality to it that, you know, I really, I loved and I enjoyed it for a while, but it was not a healthy lifestyle. I wasn't waking up and going to the gym. That's for sure. No, there was was a pirate ship mentality. I did have a phase. Actually, I was a hundred pounds less than I am now. It was in 2001 and I got, remember hydroxycut? Oh yeah. So I got on those things. So every day I'd wake up and I'd rip like four hydroxy cuts and I'd go to the gym and work out and lift like crazy. Go to work. I'd eat a couple of shrimp cocktail. And then I would just drink tequila and do coke all night. Oh and God, every morning I'd wake up and repeat. And I literally, I How lost 100 pounds have a heart in like attack? three months because I'm invincible. <laughs> right. Because nothing can stop me. <laughs> That's what I did. Yeah. I remember I, I started to get that man V thing. That was fucking amazing. I was like, oh my God. I was like, you know what? It's worth it to repeatedly keep kind of killing myself here because this thing looks awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's weird when your self-esteem is based on your self-destruction. Mm, you know? That's yeah. That's that real kind of serpent eating its tail thing. Yeah. Cause you know, eventually it's just going to collapse into itself and the spiral rebegins. Yes. Uh, the downward spiral, uh, as we like to say, um, I know you enjoy some Trent Reznor. Uh, I also know you enjoy some Mike Patton. I uh, do. Who is one of my idols. Oh my God. I love that man. Seriously. I mean, I would like regularly, whatever I've seen him at the garden. Like I went to like Philly by myself one night just to see her Tomahawk. I don't even like Tomahawk that much, but I was like, I can be this close to Mike Patton. Like I'm in. And like, he's definitely not looking his best, but I would still marry the man tomorrow if he asked me. How old is Mike Patton? Now, do you think? Uh, he's got to be like late, like, like fifties. I mean, he has to be cause it was, he, he was over, in his 20s in the 80s, yeah. right? I don't he know. He took over for Chuck Mosley in what, 
89, 90. Right, with, with the Who Cares A Lot album. The after Who Cares A Lot, right. That was right, mostly, after. Yeah, with Real Thing. And uh, I mean, this is a man who can, like I said. I think that was 82, or was it 89? I think it was later. I think okay. it was 89 or 90. Okay. Uh, you know, a man who could be a crooner, a man who can scream, a man who can sing in German, a man who can fucking, you know. His do... octaves, the range, yeah. and just like butter. His voice is incredible. Evidence, I mean. A, like one of the greatest on, songs. Man. It's so velvety and so deep and dark. I mean, I definitely perform prefer more of his kind of like crooning and yeah. you know like emotional but like you know i'm like phantasmas was never really my thing was well, edge, um, edge of the world right on, on edge of the world a yeah. great one i mean i mean ugh. it's about like a total like pedophile but it's like totally creepy like, song such a great song <laughs> but just <laughs> like the way he like intermingles like the clinking of the ice and the glass oh my and, God. i mean the man's truly a yeah. genius you're actually leading into what we're going to talk about bourbon in a second in a little bit oh a little that. foreshadowing but, uh, yeah this little foreshadowing Thanks, guys. It's like really... nothing like laying somebody on knows a horn. we're doing a podcast up here. Just laying on the horn. Thank you. I will say it's funny. I, I'm not as much into like Phantomas. I love Mr. Bungle, mm-hmm. Tomahawk. Like not hugely into, but at the same time, they have like five amazing songs. Yeah, exactly. A couple great you know, songs. It's not like a full album mm-hmm. kind of deal, but like Mr. Bungle, California. I mean, oh my god, Pink Cigarette and Retro Vertigo. Mm are just he just he's just creates like it's so whimsical and like just the narratives uh you know it's it's just so creative dude someone is is there that much traffic out there right now (laughs) on park street in portland we're apparently having experiencing heavy traffic out there i don't mean lanes (laughs) on the sunday after new year's during a (laughs) pandemic i think uh, do they want me to go outside and just they're looking for you joe they want me to show my tits i think that's what they want (laughs) That's why they're beeping. Clearly. They want me out there. I got to go. You know, you got to duty calls. Yeah, I didn't tell you. They're napalm. That's how they signal they're here. I go out there. They lay <laughs> on the horn. Super chill. <laughs> they're, they're chill guys. They lay on the horn. I go out there, pick it up. You it's know. all good. So you pro- pro- progressed into the champagne world, which is fantastic. I've spent some time in champagne. I used to work for a distributor, <clears throat> which worked with the, uh, with I worked with the Terry Thies. Uh, portfolio. Yeah, great book. And I uh, spent some time in Champagne and I and uh, visited Gimenez and Geoffroy with my friend Joel, who, if you're you know the show, you know Joel. Joel. Shot? No, Joel Beauchamp. He's my uh, he's my co-host on True Coma oh, TV. Right, he's of been course. On the show. I'm thinking yeah. Joel. I know a Joel that works for Terry Thies. That's why my mind went there. Yeah, no, could have been him too. I don't know. Some Joel. <laughs> yeah, it was so. It was a Joel. <laughs> And uh, so I remember we, we went there, and it was a, it was a Monday. And I think it was a holiday. And so after, like, spending the day at Geoffroy and walking in the vineyards with them and discovering the pleasures of Andouillette, um, which from one place was disgusting, but another was delicious. Basically, it's pork sausage filled with pork tripe, essentially. Yeah. Um, Joel and I went back to the hotel and got ready to go out, right? You know, like, like you do. And I remember we left there at like 6.30 p.m. And the entire town was just black. Like there was yeah. just, it, lights were off. Yeah. There was Everyone's literally nothing. It was some holiday. I don't even know what holiday it was. Wouldn't have mattered. They, they all go to bed at like 8 p.m. It was over. Yeah. Absolutely over. To the point where we couldn't. It was the first time in my life that I've never, I've actually been not able to get food. 
Right. Like, at least when you live here, you can like, okay, if you There's are something. desperate, you can go to Cumberland Farms or something, you know? There's always something. But like, literally, there was no food. So we had like Prilosec and champagne for dinner. <laughs> and I remember waking up, or I don't even know if I slept, but I remember like, like watching that clock till like 5.30 mm-hmm. to go to a bakery mm-hmm. when it finally opened. Right. There were like, you know, seven the first croissants. first woken up at 5.30, Joe? Mm, well, you know, when I'm uh, not on the wagon, yes. Yeah. When I'm on the wagon, <laughs> I like to wake up really early. But right. uh, it was just the crazy this sensation of like, you know, the front desk is people are long gone. Oh, they're like gone. there, there is no food for you. Nope. There's no food. Like you cannot eat any food. There's no food for you to find. And that's just, you know, I guess it's something as as, as a American, you take that for granted. Right. You just figure there's going to be something. I mean, there's got to I mean, be some place I can like go. It's kind of like that in, on, a, on any Sunday in Champagne too. Yeah. There's just nothing there's open. Nothing. And you're like, well, come on. There's got to be a place. A restaurant. A bar. A something. Deli, nothing. Nothing. Oh, it's crazy. I know. I learned that lesson. That's why I always carry snacks on me. Yeah. That's smart. <laughs> I will always do that now if I go to Champagne because <laughs> that night was just uh-huh. like, I was so hungry. You're like, I just need a bag of nuts, yeah. anything. And we're pounding like really expensive champagne because that we had purchased not to maybe pound that night. Right. You know, thinking we just get other stuff. But it was and the only option. And it's still not even doing the job. I wish I had a bottle of vodka, to be honest, like just to pass out. And there's usually nothing in those hotel mini bars. Zero. Because they're like old school chateaus or It was whatever. a castle. Yeah. Yeah. And there was zero. So it's the only night in my life that I've ever truly just been like I, I, I have hungry. no access to food I've actually gone hungry yeah <laughs> I went hungry but champagne is charming so it's, it has its charms and well, again you just have yeah. to go into it knowing it's going to be inconvenient yeah. pack yeah. snacks Pepto-Bismol and bottles of water woof and Prilosec <laughs> Pepto-Bismol doesn't do shit uh, yeah if you're, if you're hardcore bring Prilosec and maybe some Clonopin I think would be helpful as well um but also champagne comes with champagne, so it evens it all out. Right? I mean, exactly. So it's like, I always used to say it rains like an average of 200 days a year. It's an average temperature of like 55, which in Maine feels like vacation. But yeah. no, it's like crappy weather. The industrialness of Rollins is not beautiful. Epernay is actually a quite charming town. But, but it all is balanced out because they have champagne. They do. And the wine is just mind-blowing and... You know, there's some great restaurants too, and you just gotta like find them on the right day and make sure you have plans for when there's nothing open. You right. know, yeah. um, but when it's good, it's amazing for sure. Yeah, I mean, like like most of France, really. I mean, yeah, true. You know, like I spent some time in uh, in Vouvray, and I was like, oh. the same thing. And I've never had veal kidneys as good as I've had for lunch this one day. And we're very with this winemaker, and we're opening all his bottles that are sure. going back like verticals and shit. And you know, it was just. And Amazing. it's always the unexpected places. Like, yeah. it's just so, it's so cliche, but perfect where you're like, oh, it's this little like alley. And like, you just run into it and it's like a couple running it and they just serve like ethereal food. It's, yeah. And it's insane. Like, you're like, I've never tasted anything. Like, right. Like, I remember like the bread. It's like making me see stars. Yeah. And the butter. It's always about the butter, the too. The butter. Exactly. It mm. is about the butter. Um, and it's funny, Italy doesn't have very good, as good a bread as France. Correct. Argentina has the worst bread. Argentina, the bread is more of like a table decoration. Like people who actually eat the bread, they laugh at you. Like, no, they like mop up their beef with more beef. Yeah, there. I just wanted when I was in Argentina, all I wanted was a goddamn bowl of soup, Mm-mm. and I couldn't find it. I got food poisoning there. Oh yeah. And let me tell you, <laughs> I, I was in Argentina for ten days for my thirtieth birthday. I was in Buenos Aires, and then I was in Mendoza, and then back in Buenos Aires. And when I came back to Buenos Aires. 
I was having in the middle of this like four hour lunch at this Italian restaurant, like six bottles of wine. Yeah. And, I was, and I was the two girls were with me traveling, and uh, there was this one bite of like a fried squid situation where I was like, eh, that was a little questionable, right? A little funky, uh, you know. And that night we had gone out to dinner, you know, and then roughly about eight hours from the squid incident, I started being like, okay, it feels like somebody's easing a dagger into my stomach. Uh. Because I'd had food poisoning twice before. Yeah, you know the, the feeling. Yeah, I mean, you know, Tony Soprano had to really muster it up to kill Big, you know, Big Pussy <laughs> with the food poisoning. Like that's a big fucking deal. It's it painful. will take anybody down. And I'm sharing a room with with two girls oh, who no, both those we're poor all girls. friends. We're oh yeah, no definitely. You're still friends. Oh yeah, we're definitely okay. definitely those that two. That bonds you or ruins you. It, it, well, you know what. <laughs> yes, you're right in saying those poor girls because it was fucking bad. Like, because you can't do anything about it. Like, food poisoning, like, you're just decimated. You have like, to go through it. It's just a time. You're line. in so much pain. And I remember, like, uh, it was this hotel, and apparently they had labeled us the Menage a Trois room. Because <laughs> 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 there's the three of them. And um, so on, like, day two of this, you know, they're trying, I'm like, encouraging them to be out of the room as much as possible. Yeah. And uh, I wouldn't need a lot of encouragement. They got to be a honest. doctor, and I remember like the doctor showing up into my, you know, pile of filth that had become my like food poisoning palace. And I, I'm not kidding you. The doctor literally looked identical to Giselle Bunkin. Like, oh, which in your current state, it's, I was just like, this is worse. so humiliating. Right? Like <laughs> adding insult to injury. You know, this, this person walks in. Yeah, and, and I'm just like, I am at my very lowest. You're like, someone strike me dead right now. Please. Yeah. I'm like, I am, I'm done. That's, right. just, that's all. And so that was, yeah. So don't get food poisoning in, in, in Buenos Aires. Um, but yeah, I just wanted soup. Mm-hmm. I wanted a vegetable besides tomatoes. Yeah. Um, they don't have a lot of veggies. It's just, you know, I, I, I love blood sausage and I love sweet. I had a sweetbread pizza when I was there, um, which was actually delicious, but it was filthy. But like blood sausage and, and, and offal, and I, I love meat, you know, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. But in Argentina, also, they like their meat more medium well. Yeah, it's true. You don't get a lot of Like rare. I got this amazing steak. My fr- Before I went to Mendoza, I, was in the, I stayed in two different neighborhoods in Buenos Aires. Um, I can't remember the names of them right now. Oh, uh, San Telmo and then Palermo. And San Telmo was a little more of a, a non-touristy place. And I went to a restaurant there and I had a steak and it was medium rare. And it was one of the best steaks I've had in my entire life. Yeah. And then I got these, the only time I've ever done this in my life, I got these Dulce de Leche crepes. Mm. And I've never done this. I finished them for dessert and I ordered another order of them. Oh, I love that. And finished. That's how That's the, You've never done that before? I've never ordered two desserts in a row in my entire life. Wow. Except this one time. Not That's a big sweet tooth. That's how good yeah. they were. Um, but yeah, it just, and but then when you go and you really hang out with the Argentinians, like they... Your jaw starts to hurt, you know, yeah. your, uh, all that medium well beef that tastes good. But it's and they like, drink like Fernet and Coke with like a okay. single ice cube. I love that you're leading into this. So I, <laughs> at that time, I started drinking Fernet. Ugh, I hate Every it. time I would try to get a shot of Fernet, they would be really confused. And they'd be like, with Coke? And I'm like, no. No, just a and shot. And they're like, with I, I'm like, no, no. And this happened to me twice. The winemakers I was hanging out with thought this was hilarious. They started referring to it as my medicine. <laughs> they would literally fill a pint glass half full with Fernet and give it to me. And like, and I'd walk like, back to the table like, dude? I have to f- fucking finish this. I have to drink this. I have to because I just had such a 
confrontation it was a really over there. awkward conversation. Yeah, so I had to, I, twice I drank a half a pint glass of fucking Fernet in, in like two shots. It was brutal. It's, I mean, I've never gotten the appeal of Fernet. I actually introduced my sister to it last night. I was <sighs> like, because she was like, what is that bottle? And I was like, let me tell you, it's disgusting. I'll take Rumpelman's over it. Fernet, personally. Uh, there's a lot of things. I, I mean, Goldschlager, um, <laughs> Dr. McGillicuddy's. I mean, it's so opulent. No, I have Doctors. Doctors is like, I'd rather eat toothpaste than <laughs> drink Doctors, personally. But, but it feels like you have just eaten toothpaste. It's gross. It's only, well, the problem is it's only 40 proof. Rumpelman's is 100 proof. Okay, so at least so you're getting more bang for your buck. poison. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, but Fernet, I can't. Like, so I, I went to Argentina for a couple of weeks, but like a long time ago, before I was in the wine business, back in my bartending days at Sushi Samba, yep. when I worked three days a week and made a ton of money and just like did whatever I wanted the rest Life of the was time. So good. was really good. Chris, can some champagne? Um, but. I was just blown away that like, A, there's just not a culture of ice there. Like they don't, they put like a single ice cube and it's like summer in Buenos Aires and it just melts. Europe's like that too though. I know. I hate it. I like a lot of ice. Yeah. We like cold things I have to embrace the American in me and be like, I want my glass half full with ice, but no Fernet or Coke. Get rid of all of it. I'll take a gin and tonic. (sighs) Yeah. Like Coca-Cola, I'll have it maybe once a year. Anytime I go to dim sum. A cold can of Coke, for some reason, goes really well with that. My sure. friend Larry turned me onto that. I don't know why, but it just but does. It works. But I don't drink soda. No, me neither. I'll take a sip of something once in a while. Or, or weirdly, beer. I'll be like, ooh, a cream soda sounds a fresca. good. fresca. A fresca. Yeah. But then it's like I take two sips, and I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. And that was that for now. And yeah. Moxie, same thing. It's like... I know. I Moxie kind of tastes Moxie like Fernet. it's cool. It, it, but I like Moxie. <laughs> I know. And I'm proud of it because it's from Maine. Yeah, you, you should be. You know? <laughs> it's, 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 it's funny. I think that I'd be, if I was the kind of person that drank soda, I wouldn't be alive. Like, what keeps me alive is the fact that all I drink is alcohol and water. Right. And tea and coffee occasionally, but like, right. literally those two things. Yeah, no, 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 it's true. Water, I think, is like lifeblood. And if you don't drink water, something's wrong with you. Well, something's wrong with you, it's called you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's wrong with you. What's wrong with him? He's fucking dead. I don't right. Know. Oh, he's dead. He didn't it's drink like water. It's like in that movie Men at Work. He looks friggin' dead. Remember that? <laughs> I don't think I ever Jeff saw Begley it. Jeff Begley and uh, Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. I didn't see it, Joe. <sighs> Gotta well, put it on my quarantine watch list. Maybe not. It's not that great of a movie. Okay. But that one scene's really good. It's from the 80s. You know how it goes. Now, speaking of movies and, and whatnot, you are kind of the queen of two things in addition to champagne and, you know, all the other stuff. You're the queen of na- of amazing nails mm. and you're the queen of Halloween. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Halloween's always been a big passion of mine. Nails has become a big passion over the past, I don't know, maybe four years or so. But yeah, Halloween is my jam. I mean, I'm a goth deep down. I, I call myself a glamour I love goth. I about you. Um, you know, I like nice things, but I like, you know, a lot of black, a lot of leather. Like I have a, I, I like to think that I have like, you know, a dark emo soul. Like Morrissey is my spirit <laughs> animal. Morrissey is an asshole though, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I've never met him, but like, like, like Danzig, I feel like he's like an asshole. Danzig probably. I mean, or like Nick Cave, yeah. you know, he's, by the way, Nick Cave kissed me on the cheek once. Just saying. I didn't wash that cheek for a while. <laughs> That's better than Bono. Yeah, no, Bono can take a long walk up. And Nick Cave is so tall. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I love I love the goth vibe. Um, and, uh, yeah, Halloween is just, like, my favorite holiday. Like, the pressure of Thanksgiving and Christmas is just not for me. I don't like being forced. I love getting presents. 
I don't like it when people feel forced to give them to me. I don't like, I like to give people presents on random days, not on Christmas. Yeah. Also, it's kind of like with Christmas, the older you get, you're like, if I want something, I've probably already got it. I already bought it. Yeah. yeah so, like, I don't, you know, gift cards are, I love gift cards. People think that's like, un, the, it's not thoughtful, not but personal, I'm like, yeah. it's like you get Christmas again. Yeah, exactly. Because you just spend your fucking gift card. Now, right. You've got you've gone as uh, Medusa, which was amazing. Yeah, my Medusa one was pretty good. I mean, Go Go from Kill Bill. Well, so now we're talking two different things that happen in the month of October: Comic Con, oh, Comic Con, right, and right. Halloween. Yeah. So it's like double the dress up fun. Um, Comic Comic Con is great because you can go as any character you really want, but you know, there's generally a twist on either a comic book or a movie or something. So yeah, I did Go Go Yubari. I've done her a couple years now, but I did the most recent one. I did what it was comic-con last year um but yeah i've done medusa i mean i've done cruella de vil i've done bride of frankenstein you, do, you were a lycanthrope what's that you were a wear wear something a lycanthrope uh weren't you a, a, oh that's right no i was yeah. um i was uh what's her name from underworld yes vampire yeah. like kate um kate beckinsale yeah. Celine from Underworld because the so one of my good friends her birthday is on Halloween and she's a professional makeup artist so we will like plot and craft our That's costumes all year long and we always have a theme so uh, that was a vampire theme and I wanted to go with something different and I also like to figure out what do I have in my wardrobe well I got a lot of latex in my wardrobe like I got a corset got some Doc Martens obviously might as well be Celine throw Duh. on some fangs yeah. and you're there <laughs> duh I mean, why not? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's being resourceful, you know. You know, I don't love like short men, um, but I wish. Yeah, no problem, dude. But I wish that like I could be short just for Halloween, so I could be Tyrion Lannister because I essentially am Tyrion Lannister because, like him, I, I drink and I know things. Mm. That's that's what I do. You need a scar across your face. I'll take. I would literally take the scar. I've seen him wandering around the West Village. He's always just like super normal. He's just the like only non cruising British around with his wife cast, and kid. Right? Yeah. yeah. Ugh, God, I love that character. Yeah, so much. he's great. I mean, Game of Thrones is epic. Show got a little ponderous at certain points, but like for the most part, didn't love the ending. But yeah, for the I most didn't part, I didn't finish it. I was just like, okay, because I, I, I you didn't knew. finish it. Well, like the last episode, I kind of quit halfway through after he killed Daenerys. I was just kind of like, well, I mean, I know what happens, and I don't really need to see it. Right. I just didn't really care. Yeah, I hear you. It, it lost its interest for sure. I mean, the moments to me that were like, I mean, one of my most riveting moments from that show is when they, when they fucking cut off Jamie's hand. Yeah. I was not seeing that coming. No. And then they, I love how they cut to like the, the like you, you know rock music or whatever, like to kind of like break it all up. Like that was ridiculous. And yeah. that was back when you had all the book people being like, well, right. I know what happens in the Red Wedding and blah, blah, blah. Right. And not in, even knowing what's going to happen doesn't really prepare you for what happens in the show. No. And I think Jamie's hand was, to me, the most significant moment. Yeah, I mean, I was with everyone else with the Red Wedding where I was just totally shocked and blown away by it. But, um... Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of great moments. Even, the, but they they set you up for for knowing that like it was going to be shocking in the very beginning when Ned got his head cut off. Well, You're that's like, what I'm okay. saying. That literally from the first season, you should when know. Ned expect everyone's going to die. Right. Ned does what he's supposed to do. Joffrey has his head cut off. At, you know. Bastard. And I love. And, and I like that. Is the worst. Oh well, he. You know that the actor Jack whatever that plays Joffrey quit acting because he got so much hate mail. From the character of Joffrey. That's when you know you're a good actor, don't you think? <laughs> I would think so. Yeah, Sean Bean is Ned, right? Ned Stark. Sean Bean. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in Lord of the Rings as well. Um, he also uh, narrates one of my favorite 
computer games of all time, Civilization VI, mm. uh, which is amazing. But yeah, Joffrey, it's like one of those things, like you couldn't, I mean, how could you get over, he's so brilliantly Such terrible. Such a weasel, yeah. So terrible. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. And now he's being punished for being such a good actor. <laughs> like, there it is. You know? Life isn't fair. And nobody else in history, I don't think. And people have played the most despicable people. Right. And I think him more than anybody else. Because he just embodied that role so well. And he looks like, yeah. You know. Yeah, he just has a weaselly face. He, he should have been. I, the only thing would have been better if he was a ginger. Oh, well, there's so many gingers on the show, though. The show <laughs> really embraced show the gingers. The show is just chock full of gingers. True. A lot of gingers. <laughs> say that. It was the blondes that really got it bad. <laughs> Which, it you was. know, as, as a well, natural brunette, I kind of love. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Sansa, you know, she didn't have it great. No. It worked out in the end, but, you know. So, Lacey, we have a, uh, a bottle of bourbon here uh, from our, our newest sponsor. Uh, it's Legent Bourbon, L-E-G-E-N-T. And it's special uh, for a couple reasons. So, this is actually a collaboration between uh, Fred No, who's uh, Booker No's sons of Booker's and uh, great-grandson of Jim Beam. Mm-hmm. So, he's the master distiller there. And also, uh, Shinji uh, Fukuyo who is the chief blender at Suntory. So Japanese whiskey to me, I think, is a, is a... I don't know if you've had a lot of it recently. I think it's become one of the best values in whiskey in general. Like, you can get a bottle of Japanese whiskey for $70 that drinks like a $300 bottle of American whiskey, in my opinion. Hmm. Uh, like, everything else the Japanese do, they do It's it impeccable. It's impeccable. Yeah. They do it better. Attention details there. Right. Uh, it's amazing. And... So this is a collaboration between uh, an American master seller and a Japanese one. Aging in both red wine and sherry casks for this. Before blending. It's actually absolutely delicious. Oh, yeah. That's a fucking awesome bourbon. It's super smooth. Yeah. I mean, not I mean, even smooth in like the, you know, usually a lot of times bourbon smooth is like really sweet. That's actually balanced. It is balanced. I mean, there's a savory note to it for sure. Like you can feel a little bit of this kind of like, almost like um. You know, you get the you get the cinnamon. You get a little bit of this kind of like almost like not maple syrup because it's not that sweet, but just kind of like an earthy sweetness to it, like caramelized fall leaves. Um, but there is a nice kind of like grainy structure as well. It's it's lovely. I've never caramelized leaves before, well, but I can imagine it. <laughs> that sounds delightful. <laughs> um, so they asked me to come up with a, a cocktail recipe for this, and now that I'm actually tasting it. Uh, I was thinking something along the lines of like a, a whiskey sour, but like with like yuzu and honey mm-hmm. or something. You know, I feel sure. like if you added some complex like citrus and sweet notes to it, but not a lot. You know, I don't know what I'm going to garnish it with. I'm not the kind of like, I'm not like a burnt orange kind of guy. Mm. But if I were, <laughs> I may put that in there. I just don't, I don't want a blowtorch. I'm not a jagged. I off. almost want to do like a, like a mint julep only with shiso leaves. What do you think, Joe? I don't know. I feel like everything I just, I feel like you just reversed everything I just said. (laughs) I feel like literally you just reversed everything I just said, and now. I want them both. No, the shiso, though, with the sweetness, like just adding that slightly herby, aromatic thing, and maybe even doing like a, a simple syrup with like palm sugar. Ooh, yeah. With, I mean, like, like we were talking about with the pad thai. Like, I think with 
Chisa, oh, wow. And crushed ice. Yeah, of course. And I love, what I love about a julep is, uh, so do you think you omit the mint or have mint and shiso? Hmm. I mean, shiso has a particular flavor, but it's not quite as like pungent and right. punchy as mint, right? right. So they I don't put know. put shiso in the drink and then the, because uh, I love a mint julep when you have like a bunch of mint and you put your face in the drink and your nose it's is in so the mint. so minty. Your nose is in the mint and you're drinking the bourbon and that's right. what makes it amazing. So I'm wondering if like... If you can replicate that with shiso, uh, or, or if I you do the I, mint also. I think minted shiso could be a good... Sure, why not? They'd be harmonious. Nothing exceeds like excess. That's right. <laughs> Where are we going to go, Frank? I thought we'd go to the Babylon Club. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be very hard to assassinate you. Who would want to assassinate me? I have nothing but friends. Yeah, greatest movie ever. Maybe the catcher ever. on your little league team. That <laughs> son of a bitch hasn't got a base hit all season. I should assassinate him. <laughs> Al Capone. I'm sorry, yeah, Al Pacino would be uh, proud. I could eat a horse. <laughs> okay, they're going to cook you a horse. <laughs> I didn't come off. No banana boat, okay? Did you got some for me? Okay, anyway, enough of the drug talk. So, that being said. <laughs> so, the moral the of the bourbon. story is that Legion bourbon is absolutely delicious. <laughs> And we are back. Uh, having some more champagne. This time we're opening a bottle of uh, Pierre Gimenez, uh, which is delicious. Um, that's a winery that I used to represent and I've spent some time at. Uh, it reminds me of my time in champagne. Actually, we're, it reminds me of a time when uh, actually I was hanging out with uh, Jean-Baptiste uh, Geoffroy. And he introduced me to the idea of decanting champagne, which I had not really been familiar with before. Mm-hmm. But which... After doing it with certain vintage wines, made a lot of sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have like conflicting points of view on that. I agree that, so if you're going to evaluate a wine professionally, um, it makes sense to decant the champagne, especially like a young vintage champagne. But for, for personal enjoyment, I mean, isn't one of the reasons we like champagne the bubbles? I think so. He would like literally open his vintage stuff, like, and then drink it the next day. And it, and it, you know, I used to always say when I was with Ruinart that the hardest part of my job was going back to my hotel at the end of the day and having like, you know, a couple inches of Don Renart left in the bottle and it would be flat and had been opened all day. And it was like drinking Grand Cru Chablis. Yeah. And I would just have to, I'd have to drink it. You had to struggle through it. I really did. You, know, you were actually good at RideWiz. When I was in the wine business and RideWiz, I would always make sure I'd have at least a half a bottle of every single bottle to go home with <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, one of the most memorable ride was was with uh, was uh, with the winemaker from Muga. Oh, cool! And we had this is when I was with Winebow in Chicago, and we had like ten wines. And I've always been familiar with with Muga, uh, Rioja, but I had no idea about some of these really higher end ones that they were doing. Mm-hmm. And these are wines that actually kind of need that much air definitely like i would always when, I, when you're in the wine business it's called ride with when you have a winemaker or an importer come to town and you take them around to all your accounts and show their wines to focus on them all day and generally they take you out to lunch and take you out to dinner after which is the good part um i would always wake up at like 8 a.m and i taste all the samples to make sure none of them were corked you know usually hung over uh, I remember some of these Muga ones were like they like, you know, rip the enamel off your teeth, mm. panic mm-hmm. in the morning. 
you know, they're brutal. Yeah, Rioja for breakfast isn't everybody's oh cup of tea. Yeah, it was it was it was bad. Um but yeah, going around with him and then uh I would always be like I'd I'd be kind of stingy with my pores, I guess, because I knew when I got home. You went to drink it later. I pound all of that wine. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, the ride with game is, uh, you know, of course, I'm not doing it now. And, you know, again, being in the champagne business, it was one thing because it's like you wanted it to be kind of poured out by the end of the day because it was just really going to go flat. So um, but now that I'm in the Cabernet game, it's a little bit different where it's like, you know, you want to kind of like save a little. So I actually now I understand that theory where I'm like, when when ride with has become a thing again, I'm like, okay, I've got a bottle of like, you know, our estate wine, like our moon racer, like I'm saving that because it's just going to be better the next day. So yeah, I actually think like, so, but, but looping it back to decanting champagne, I like it in theory, right? I like the, the idea of opening up the wine and letting it kind of see the light of day and breathe. And it does benefit the wine if you're evaluating it from a strictly kind of like educational point of view. But I mean, I like the bubbles in champagne. So for me, it's like, yeah, sure. It's delicious as a bubbly wine when it's really young, but that doesn't give you the true window into the kind of aging potential of the wine. So um, if if that's the rules, then I'd like one for drinking pleasure and one for education. (laughs) And we decant one and we drink one. Yeah, I think that's, you know what? I won't object to that. Opening two, that's perfect. I love it. And yeah, the ride with game. Yeah, it'll come back. It's the perfect time to have a $400 lunch when somebody else is paying for it. Yeah, I mean, I was always on the supplier side, and, you know, now I'm with with Realm, which is, you know, a winery in Napa Valley. So it's like, it's always kind of our responsibility as the supplier or the winemaker or the winery to do those lunches. And, I mean, certainly at Moet Hennessy, like, we had... Unlimited budget. Pretty good budgets. So, for sure, we had a lot of fun lunches back in the day. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. You definitely want to be conscious, obviously, if it's a small winery. We'd always go to Miyake for lunch. Oh, that's nice, and though. And it was always, like, three bottles of sake. Like, it literally was never under $400. Right. But everybody was so blown away by the experience. Sure. That they were like, I don't fucking care. Only one person ever got some, like, blowback from the expense report. <laughs> I feel like, what is this lunch? Right. What's happening? <laughs> um... What do you think about the movie Psalm? I mean, which one? There's like four out. No, now. the first one, the only the, the one there. Um, so I I know those guys, and I was friendly with some of them at one point. Um, look, I like that it gave a voice to things that people didn't really get before. Yeah. Bright and, fruit. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things wrong with it. Yeah. Um, there, but it was just nice to have someone kind of like recognize, like, I, I think that like the kind of the rise of the kind of snobby sommelier is not a good thing. I mean, it's no. about being approachable. Well, it takes all the enjoyment out of wine, I think. And even that, that amount of studying to me right. as somebody who's obsessed with wine, I would, you know, like I would pass level one, maybe two. Uh, but I wouldn't even kid myself and think three or four, you know, master. I, like I would never want to. Honestly, no. like when, when people ask me, like, why didn't you become a master psalm? I'm like, because I don't care about the trellising system in sherry. Because I don't want this enjoyment of wine ripped away from me. 
And I'd rather be a specialist. Like I'd rather yeah. take a couple regions that I love and that I'm really passionate about. You know, it, it's been Champagne, Burgundy, parts of Italy, and now Napa. And it's like, I would rather dive deep into an area that is interesting to me. Yeah. As opposed to being kind of like having this broad sweeping knowledge of every wine region in the world. Like that's not appealing to me. I, I'm more of a specialist and... Um, that's always been my vibe, but I, that's not to say there's not so much like respect that goes into that. So the, the movies saw them are fine. Like, you know, as a brand ruin art, we used to work with them we sponsored a couple of their openings and, you know, um, Frederick Panayotis, who was the chef de cave at ruin art. Like he was featured in, I think Psalm two, um, Psalm three, I actually had a cameo in. Did you? Yeah. The opening scene, I was on it for like a few seconds. So I had gone into cork buzz, which is this great bar in New York and they always cork buzz and they do 50% champagne every night after I forget now, like 10 PM, they called it champagne campaign. (laughs) and I was in there drinking some champagne and they were shooting. And so I, Jason wise, I knew the director of Psalm and he was in there and he was like, Hey, do you mind? Like if we like shoot some like footage of you drinking champagne? And I was like, well, I'm not wearing any makeup today, but I did just get my nails done. So just keep it from the neck down. And so they were like, sure, no problem. And they were like, we're basically going to just going to keep filling up your glass with champagne. And I was like, boom, I'm in. And so if you go back and watch Psalm three, and again, you only have to watch the trailer. You're I have to watch not the watched. Whole thing. I won't be going back to watch it. I have never seen something. Well, you only have one. to watch the first thirty <laughs> seconds to see my cameo. Yeah. Um, so all that being said, I I mean the movies are they're so specific. There's like. There's jokes about Saint Joseph. I mean, you have to be such a wine geek to have or a joke so about into the business yeah. <laughs> yeah. to really get it. So I think they're fun for some people, but they're just not for everyone. What's a joke about Saint Joseph? I don't even remember. It was like some like black some, pepper like, reference. Or it was like a certain producer. I forget the joke, but I'm like, and I think I chuckled about it, Eve but I was Kuro. like, yeah. I'm like, am I the only person? Like there's like the the 0.01% of like wine nerds out there that are going to get a San Joseph joke. So yeah, you're definitely better off opting for magic gathering jokes for sure. <laughs> I think. Now, I, never, I never played magic, but I think I would like it. I played magic. I played Dungeons and Dragons all through my early years. And then I, I switched to magic when that came out in the early nineties. And, and then, um, this one guy, I think his name was Josh Horn, I think his name was. I remember, like, there were a bunch of kids at my high schools at Chevrolet who were into magic. And I used to play when I was, like, a freshman. But this is, like, I was, like, a junior, I think, at this point. This guy was a senior. And I had all these cards from, like, the beginning of the game. And I didn't play it for a while. So these kids would, like, have these things, like, the magic club, whatever. So I was like, oh, I want to play magic. Because it's actually really fucking fun. And I brought my all my cards in. And this kid was like... I will give you $250 around the spot for all your cards. Oh, my goodness. And this is like 1996. So that felt know? like serious money. Yeah. And I took it. I was like, yeah. I spent all on drugs. And now, like, just three of those, like, 60 cards are worth, like, $4,000 a piece. The Black really? Lotus. Yeah. It was like these, like, legendary. Because all the cards were way overpowered in the beginning. They're like, like game balance changing cards. And right. I had all of those. Wow. And uh, this kid, like, was just, I, I didn't bother to wonder why he was so enthusiastic about giving me $250. I was like, he's an idiot. I'm right. Like, You're like, great. Yeah. Joke's on you. Yeah. <laughs> Magic cards? Fuck Take off. Take them. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I look at the value of those now. I'm like, oh. Wow. I can't believe they have Foresight value. is interesting when you have that. <laughs> People who are responsible and aren't 
extremely impulsive and irrational, they're interesting to me. Um, but you got to give yourself a little bit of a break there. Who would have known those cards would have been worth that right? much? It's a fucking game. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, I saved my X-Men cards. Are they worth anything? Probably no. not. All my Batman first movie cards aren't worth shit. Yeah. I have all of them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, Mine are know. like in my mom's basement somewhere. Who's your favorite Batman? Oh, good question. I mean... Not Ben one. Affleck, that's for sure. <laughs> did he even do one in the end? I thought he like was slated. Then did he do one? No, he did the one that had Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy, right? Ew. Batman Returns know. or whatever. No, I would say uh, Christian Bale, just because it's like, fucking tough. Because I want to say Christian Bale because that's what I feel. But it seems like Michael Keaton has a. It's just there's, a, there's Ke- a so there's something in my heart that says Michael Keaton, but. Batman Begins is my favorite, honestly, of all of them. The, and, the, uh, that trio is like such a great. No. But yes, Michael. I mean, Keaton, it becomes I mean, a also circus I love that. So I'm like, I have to pay homage right. to Michael Keaton for being like the OG. I've been watching The Founder a lot recently. The Founder. That's one where he plays Ray Kroc, who oh, founded okay. McDonald's. It's amazing. Huh? Actually, you should watch it. I will. But yeah, it's tough. Keaton was great. You know, Nicholson was great. Devito even. Was was great, and then it turned into like a circus after that, with like Jim Carrey and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and, and there was a was lot it Val Kilmer of... and Clooney and all that shit. Well, I think Val Kilmer is a great actor. That I mean, The Saint was a great movie. I mean, The Doors. I mean, come on, like he is Jim Morrison. Yeah, he is Jim Morrison. He's like better than Jim Morrison. He's kind of better than Jim Morrison, and that's a fucked up thing to say. It is a fucked up, but thing it's to fucking say. true. But I embrace it because yeah, I do. It's true. Because we're not here to lie to each other. Mm-mm, no, truth. This is 2021. We're speaking truth. It's the language of truth. This bourbon's delightful. <laughs> truth serum. <laughs> but yeah, Batman, I mean, Batman is my favorite character. Like, I don't know if you've seen on my Instagram profile, but it's like me. I yes. Had an, I had an art. I commissioned an you artist. You have a piece where you are basically... Sitting ed- on Batman's edu- lap. You're, you're edging Batman, essentially. Um, <laughs> I am sitting on Batman's lap and he's tied up and I've and given has him lipstick, a kiss. He has lipstick kiss on his gag. His ball, his gag has a lipstick imprint on it. And I have a bottle of Clodomineal in my hand. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. Yep. No, it's like, it only cost me $100. Uh, I'd like to shout out to Ed Harris at um, Nothing Happened Today. <laughs> Best yeah. artist ever. Thank oh, you. God, I love that picture. <laughs> He does a lot of cool like mashups of like Winnie the Pooh meets the ring. Yeah. Like really cool, creepy comic book graphics. I have an amazing painting up in my house that I actually got, I had framed with the, uh, the frame is worth four times more than the painting, but it's this artist, Hillary White. And so it's Van Gogh and it's like the fields of like lavender or whatever, mm. but it has Johnny Five O painted into a short circuit <laughs> and I love it so much. See, <laughs> it's, it's like, like sometimes a in, in the style is of Van Gogh, it's short circuit. Yeah, I dig it. Yeah, it's amazing. Now you going back to Psalm and all those fucking sequels. Uh, <laughs> you are a fan of old school horror movies, which mm-hmm. tend to have an outrageous amount of sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it Nightmare on Elm Street? Is it Friday the Thirteenth? Is it is it Hellraiser? What is it for you? I, I can't watch those movies because I'm terrified of them. Really? I can't. I you don't, don't like do horror. horror at all. I don't like horror. I don't. Yeah, it's a love or hate thing, truly, truly. I have enough horror in my life and my normal reality. I don't need 
additional horror. You know, I don't know where I, it came from. I, I grew up in Bangor, about a block from Stephen King. So, and like, so where it was filmed, like you the know, water I a, tower. I have, a, I have a show on Stephen King's radio station. Oh, really? Every Friday, WZON. Oh, I'll have to 530 called Shut in. Up and Eat, if you're uh, listening. We talk about food. Do we talk about Out of the Park Baseball 21 now? Anyway. Oh, well, I didn't know. So, I mean, I'm like a huge, so I started off being like a huge Stephen King fan. So that's kind of like horror was ingrained in me from day one, I feel like. Um, and, you know, I, I Nightmare on Elm Street was definitely my favorite. Like, I still have like nightmares of like when she's walking up the stairs and they like turn into marshmallows. You wouldn't know because you haven't seen it. it. But I know like, Dream Warriors by Dawkin from the third one. Hellraiser was a really good one. So Clive Barker's another one. I, I was He I was, did Nightbreed, right? Um, I don't know Nightbreed, actually. I think Clyde Barker did Night, okay. Nightbreed, yeah. But, like, basically anything I could read or watch, and now, like, I listen to a lot of horror podcasts. Like, every Sunday, a great podcast comes out. It's, like, two and a half hours. I pay for it. I happily pay. And it's just, like, short stories with great voice actors. Like, anything scary I can get my hands on, I love it. And I don't know where why? that came from. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I, I really dig it, and I just feel like, you keep your terrors close to you, you know? Well, that's really, I mean, that's what you learn from Batman Begins is you kind of have to embody your fear. You have right. To, you know, you have to step into your fear and you have to just let it engulf you. Be comfortable with it. Be comfortable with it. And it's funny, the relevance to that with Batman Begins. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's not hard. It's not easy to do, but. But like all of it, I mean, I'm not, my, my least favorite genre would probably be like slasher flicks. But that being said, like I still, like House of Friday Thousand 13th Corpses. Slasher? Yeah, it is. It, but like, that's what I started out as. Now I'm like, I'm more into the psychological stuff. Um, like what? Well, you know, like I would say that the greatest psychological horror movie is Silence of the Lambs. I've never because seen Silence not, of the Lambs. Are you kidding me, Joe? No. Chris, have you? I know all about it. I've never seen The Shining either. Ugh. I know. Fuck you guys. Leave right now. <laughs> Listen, I just, no, I it's, don't. it's a love or hate uh, thing. I just love it passionately. And I, I don't like know I why. Like I said, I have enough scary shit in my own reality being myself. I don't need more. Yeah, I get it. I mean, again, it's, I have a handful of friends that are my horror friends that will go watch movies with me and like that I can kind of go back and forth with on books or whatever. But it's just definitely not for everyone. And hey, I mean, you know, no disrespect. Hey. I'm a pussy. <laughs> you said it, not me, Jeff. I did. I did. It's fine. I'm no, it's with it's that. definitely uh, it's yeah. definitely intense, and you know I, I can't get most people I know to watch it with me. So that's yeah. why I end up watching it alone, which says a lot about me. Well, watching horror alone seems like it make it scarier anyway. So it's probably totally. better. It's like double oh, the so pleasure. So fun. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. but so so I hate roller coasters. I've never been on roller coasters. Oh, life. unless terrifying. you count Space Mountain. Space Mountain's a roller coaster. Is it? And I hated it. Okay, I hated it too. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's the kind of adrenaline rush I don't want. Horror is for me. I mean, I just, I don't, horror movies to me are basically, they, it, it's Friday the 13th, it's, it's, it's Nightmare on Elm Street, it's fucking. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, who actually, I, I judged a chili cook-off with Gunnar, um, uh, what was his last name? Who is it, the director? No, he was the original guy. Oh, Texas Leatherface. Chainsaw. Yeah, Leatherface. Really? Yeah. Gunnar, I can't think of his last name. For some I don't reason. know either. But anyway, I, I judged a chili cook-off with him out of those tw the twin trash cans in South Portland. Uh -uh. Uh, it was uh, some Comic-Con thing. And uh, he, he actually, he made chili in the, in the contest. He was 
Good is on, he in Portland? He lives he's, here? He's died. He's, he's passed away. Oh, since. I'm sorry. He's not from here. I mean, R.I.P. Leatherface. Uh, yeah. But he was the original. It was Gunnar Nielsen. I, I can't think of it. But anyway, yes. I judged a chili cook-off with him. That's pretty epic. He is a big man. Like a horror fan would have been really into that. He's a big man. Yeah. yeah. Like I, yeah, exactly. I don't watch that movie. Uh, I have no interest in watching like the human centipede. Oh, me neither. That's uh, disgusting. That makes me just want to nope. fucking kill Hard myself. Hard pass. Yeah. That I won't do. I have limits. Huh? I have limits. And that is one of them. Human centipede that is definitely a limit. That movie sounds so revolting to me. Nope. Like I watched Saw, the first one. The first one was good because it was kind of gritty. It was fi- I don't know. You guys would know better than me, but the way it was filmed made it feel more gritty. Yeah. The second one was like super Hollywood, and I couldn't. I walked out of the theater on the second one, and I yeah. rarely walk out of a movie. Yeah. No, it. it I don't know. I guess it, I can't say I, I don't like horror as a whole, but like there are certain things that I. I You're not passionate about it. I'm not passionate about. That's okay. It. Exactly. Leave uh-huh. it to the rest of us weirdos. So going back to Halloween. Mm. So you chose Ziggy Stardust over David Bowie from Labyrinth. Why? Well, so I was looking back and forth at a lot of different Bowie. I mean, obviously Bowie is a king and I love everything about him. Like he's just, but you would the be like Labyrinth. You, you just look so like the Labyrinth look would be. Yeah, I think I feel like I could have gone for the Goblin King, but for me, it was um, also as a resourceful Halloweener, you kind of have to look. I know. I know <laughs> what I just said, Joe. Just enjoy it. I am. As a resourceful <laughs> Halloween addict, I wanted to choose something that made sense with like an easy to get costume, and also I wanted good makeup. So, one of the best things about having my friend Cynthia, who's a makeup artist, is like, Jared didn't have great Halloween makeup, you know? I mean, there was probably a little, like, there could have been a little bit of a cat eye going on and, like, a cool blonde mullet or whatever. But I wanted good Halloween makeup. That's the benefit of having a good friend who does makeup professionally. So I was like, okay, I'm doing Ziggy Stardust, but not Ziggy with, like, the lightning bolt across his face. I went Ziggy with the one that had, like, the orange orb on his forehead. Orange mullet. Orange mullet, orange orb, and like crazy, like pink, like eye makeup that extended through my forehead. So that for me, and then, you know, the gold jumpsuit and it it. just seemed, it it seemed right. And, you know, dressing up as Ziggy, like as a sort of androgynous figure, like I loved the whole, I loved all of it. So that was one of my better ones for sure. Yeah. I was impressed. Thank you. Although I do want to see you do. Labyrinth, David Bowie. You know, Chris sure. doesn't. Chris doesn't like Tool, um, which is interesting. Uh, I mean, Tool can be a little bit of a bummer for me as well. Yeah, but Maynard Keenan's wines are surprisingly I not terrible. I fucking love. I used to rep Caduceus wines. I did actually. I organized a dinner one time where uh, the the winemaker. I've, the other winemaker, I forget his name. His parents actually came to it. And uh, I showed Blood, Blood into Wine, which is the only non-annoying wine documentary to me. Uh, There's a lot of bad ones. In the world. Yeah, I love Blood into Wine. It's really fantastic. It. It's great. It's great. I need to. And uh, yeah, we served all these Caduceus wines from Arizona, which you now cannot get anymore outside of the wine club because they're basically like, we sell all these wines to the wine club. Why even bother dealing with the distributors? Because they make more money that way. Exactly. Yeah. So you have to be part of the Velvet Slippers Club. It's called Velvet Slippers? Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. I know. The wines are delicious, though. I love, I was like, that when I was working 
and selling those wines. That was like my number one. I was that and Sean Thackeray were like the wines that I purchased the most for myself. Right. At the time. Yeah. No, I mean, I've only back when, um, I think it was, yeah, Pearl and Ash, when Pearl and Ash was on the Bowery, um, you know, the wine director had a huge affinity for Tool and a lot of like great music. And so he always like was pouring, I think like one of the wines was well, those Merkin. Ar- Merkin Vineyards, those Arizona Stronghold. So Merkin was always by the glass yeah. and I, I used to taste it and I was like, actually, it's pretty good. good. right? Yeah. And so. even in the movie, they have James Suckling come out to the fucking vineyard and taste the wines. And, and he liked them? He liked them. And, you know, James he, can be... He gave a little bit of criticism. Unnecessarily to their, tough sometimes. Yeah, and the, he actually, the one time he was a little bit critical, Maynard got very defensive because he's you know short guy, gets defensive. Oh, is he short? about you, Chris. <laughs> You're knocking on Chris all night tonight, Joe. I am not knocking on Chris. I'm just saying things that I think. Chris, I think I you're think. beautiful. I think Chris is beautiful, too. I'm not, I literally... <laughs> and we're wearing matching buffalo plaid. No, I'm talking about short people with Napoleon complex. Okay. I'm not talking about Chris. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I think Maynard's a little bit of that. I didn't know Maynard was short. He He's one of those people like Ralph Lauren that like, not Ralph Lauren, by the way. There's no Lauren. Why would it be Lauren? His actual name is Lipschitz. He's yeah. from Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, Ralph Lauren, I met him when I worked at his restaurant in Chicago. And he wore, look, to give you an idea, he wears a 14 and a half, 32 dress shirt. Oh, and tiny. he's tiny. Tiny. But, but he projects adds, a tall image. And adds, yeah, he shoots from it. You think you think he's seven feet tall. Yeah, he's the master of aesthetics. Right. You know, so. I don't really know where I was going with that, but I mean. Uh, that James had like, <laughs> James was like combative again. No, you said uh, Maynard had an issue with something that James Sucker yeah, said. Yeah, he was just like, this and this and this. And Maynard was like, you know what? I don't care. I love this wine. Yeah. Like, and like, you know, I mean, this is like. Wine scores and critics, it's a really nice to have. Oh, and James Suckling has a masterclass, by the way. He does. Mm-hmm. He totally does. I've seen the ads for it's it. It's actually hard to watch, though. I mean, he. I think he has a lot of great experience. Yeah. Um, it's just I, like, I just don't know that I need a wine master. Well, the problem is it's like him with a bunch of people who are non-wine people, like blind tasting and talking about wine. And it's really painful. It's just like, I don't really give a but shit. But like, is a, so the, the interesting thing about your podcast is that you touch on wine, but it's never like fully about wine. Right. Is it ever interesting to talk about wine on a TV show or a podcast? Only if you're no, in that's the why wine business exclusively and it refers specifically to you. Right. And that's it. It's, it's unfortunate. Like, with at least food, it's pretty visceral. Like, you see like pasta being cooked and meat being seared well, you have and to eat fish food or you'll and, die. Right, like, and it's like, it's really sexy to watch someone cook food. Like, pouring a glass of wine, it's white or red or pink, and it's... Blush. Or it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, a blush Zinfandel. <laughs> but, like, it's not interesting to watch people pour wine, and so I get why, like, no wine shows have taken off. Yeah, it's just not that fucking fun. And I've always said that even about food, about, like, reality shows. It's like... Yeah, food is great, but it's not exciting. There's no explosions or deaths. You know, it's just like, just making some food. Well, unless you're the waiter and you're putting out <laughs> little fires all over somebody. their table. Well, unless you're me. Everything I do is exciting if you have, I don't know if you've noticed this. If this you point. have a, a long enough, you know, uh, yeah. patience. If you're just me, then everything you do is movie worthy. But other than that, most servers are really boring. Right, that's true. I'm the least boring server there is. Right. Uh, I mean, boring slash just trying to do their job. Destructive, (laughs) self-destructive, 
and then regular destructive too. Right. All the destructive. <laughs> all the destruction. I can destroy my surroundings. I can destroy myself all at the same time. I'm very talented. I'm you know, multitasker. I, I, I multitask. I multitask. I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a go getter. I like to, <laughs> you know, you know, like I always say, it's all about rise and grind, you know, like I always say. <laughs> That's your motto, Joe. My motto is rise and grind. Just work it and it'll, you know, it's a Christmas miracle every single day. Oh, what's next for me? I mean, well, I've been with Realm Cellars, the, the winery in Napa that I was telling you about before. Uh, I've been with them for a year today, actually. Oh, so, um, so one full year. Obviously, I started my job right before the pandemic started. So who knew how it was going to be? Um, but I am actually going to be moving to Napa in June, which is pretty exciting. Oh. So the whole idea was to kind of go back and forth from New York to Napa, but I am officially relocating. Are you in done June. with New York? I'm not done with New York, but I'm ready to take a break. Yep. And I'm ready to kind of like fully commit to Napa and like get some mastery on the subject and be close to the team. I'm the only person that's remote and. Now with the pandemic and the fact that I can't travel back and forth as much as I'd like to, I just I just want to be there. And you know, if there's ever a time to take a break from New York, now is now it. Now's the time for sure. So I love New York. It's definitely a big part of my heart, and I will be back often. I'll be back here in Maine often. But um, happy to do a West Coast version of Food Coma podcast whenever you want to come out and visit. Uh, the minute I can come out and visit, I'll be there. So. Cali Cab in the vineyards. It's always sunny in Napa. <laughs> and it's always better at the vineyard. Indeed. <laughs> uh, I want to thank Lacey Burke again for joining us on the podcast today. Lacey, thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Chris. It's been great to be here. Absolutely. I'm Joe Riccio. And this is the Food Coma Podcast. <laughs>